Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The Amulet of Daylight challenges you to ascend to the most sacred of offices. For you, Master Jim, are the troll hunter. Welcome to a special interview edition of Sci-Fi Fidelity. I'm Mike, and regular listeners know by now that we like to talk to composers of the music from our favorite television shows. And today, we're fortunate enough to be talking to Tim Davies, who's one of the premier composers in Hollywood who has orchestrated and conducted not only recognizable live-action films like Ant-Man, Edge of Tomorrow, and La La Land, but also several animated favorites like Minions, Frozen, the Peanuts movie, and Jorge Gutierrez's The Book of Life, which was where he hooked up with Guillermo del Toro, who produced that movie. And now del Toro has brought him on for Netflix's Troll Hunters, which tells the story of a teenage boy chosen to become the protector of the world, both the human one and the hidden troll world. So welcome to the podcast, Tim Davies, and we're hoping you can tell us a little bit about how you got hooked up with del Toro on this wonderful project. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, actually, well, on Book of Life, I was actually brought in by uh, Gustavo Santaleja to help him write the score. Guillermo was the executive producer on the movie. I never actually met him. But then, uh, I don't know, a couple of months later, I got a, an email actually from Jorge, the director of Book of Life, saying, you're about to get an email. And I was <laughs> like, oh, really? Okay, that was all. <laughs> And then uh, two minutes later, there was a short email that said, I need help. Are you busy? You know, GDT. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. (laughs) And uh, so I'm in the airport on my way for a vacation (laughs) to Mexico when I get this. And I'm like, yeah, I respond, sure, whatever you need. And anyway, I cut a long story short. Next thing I'm in Toronto spotting Crimson Peak which uh, they were in the final stages of, and they just needed some help. You know, Guillermo just needed some some extra things done at the last minute, and that's where I sort of properly met Guillermo. But what sort of scared the hell out of me was, as I'm leaving that first meeting, he then says to me, oh, and I'm working on a new TV show I want you to write the score for. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, I've never actually done my own score before, and, you know, I've always just orchestrated and conducted and helped other people. But that just really put the pressure on me, obviously, <laughs> to uh, to do a good job on Crimson Peak because this other job was riding on it. And then, of course, I finished that and there was a little bit of lag while the project got up and running. And I didn't know if I was doing it. I was like, am I doing this or not? You know, and I couldn't really, you know, he's not someone you just keep calling <laughs> up and bugging whether that thing that he mentioned one time as he was saying goodbye to me, you know, it's going to happen. Anyway, it happened. And um, finally, I was at DreamWorks uh, meeting with the producers and the other directors, uh, Rodrigo Blas and Christina Steinberg. And he's basically introduced me and said, this is the guy who's writing the score. Normally, those things, they have a whole process of, you know, auditions, basically, you know, demoing and all of that. But uh, I sort of got walked in there and everyone was just like, oh, hi. okay, you're the guy. 
and uh, and that was it. So that's how I got got the project. And now, is it similar to what you've done with video games, uh, with God of War and the Batman series? Are those ones that you wrote the score for, or have you pretty much always done the orchestration bit? Yeah, no, all of those were orchestrating and conducting. That's been my thing. I actually, I ticked a box one day and got a grant and sort of accidentally ended up in L.A. studying film scoring at USC. But I never had uh, a plan to stay. I was going to go back to Melbourne and continue my job. I was an academic and I thought, oh, it'd be fun to learn about film scoring. I didn't really have a huge desire to you know, make that my career. I was doing my big band and writing concert music and teaching and I was just going to go home. But then I sort of discovered this orchestrating and conducting and arranging world that really fit my skill set and temperament and everything. And I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do this. And so I just worked my way up, you know, for what, the last 18 years to getting to the level I am at in, in that, which I sort of call my day job. And I always said, you know, well, I'll probably end up writing a score one day, but I won't really go after it. And I guess uh, it was meant to be that I ended up on the project with Gustavo and who I met on a video game on The Last of Us that I ended up there and then, you know, Guillermo liked what I did and, and gave me this gig. So now I'm uh, composing and we'll see where it goes after that. I'm still orchestrating, you know, every week I do Empire. There's a new lead annual show called Star. I just conducted La La Land. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm still I'm sort of juggling both jobs at the moment. So what have you been doing when you when you dive into it? Do you have to create themes for the different characters like Blinky and Arg, the trolls that help Jim or, or the humans themselves? Do they have yeah. uh, recognizable bits? Well, yeah, everyone, everyone has themes. And, and so it's either a character or an environment, you know, a location. When we were in one of this, this first meeting at, at DreamWorks, I thought that I was the composer, you know, and I was like, wow, finally I get my own theme because on Book of Life and Crimson Peak, my job was to work with other people's themes, and sure, I got to put my own stuff in there, but you know, I was honoring their vision for the score. And I thought, wow, this is all mine, and I get to write all this <laughs> crazy, cool fantasy music. And then, then they tell me that someone else has written the main title and two character themes. And I just, well, I thought I swore on the inside, but apparently <laughs> it was the outside. Uh, but Guillermo said, don't worry, you know, I, I can't even do his uh, thing. He, it's funny, I, I know he's you know, Mexican, but to me, he sounds Dutch. <laughs> um, which is why I can't do the accent at all. But anyway, he's like, don't worry, Tim, there's going to be plenty of themes. And he was right, because while it's uh, season one, you know, is a 26-show big arc, each episode, apart from the first two, which is, a, you know, the first two of the pilot, each episode is has its own little self-contained adventure. And there's always a new character. Sometimes the characters come back, or there's a new gadget some sort of thing and and you know the names for these things are just so cool i mean guillermo's got such an imagination for coming up with these crazy things <laughs> um, and some of it you recognize from other legends you know it's not called the same thing but you know you recognize he's tipping the hat at all of these other stories but others it's just you know from his crazy imagination uh, which is what's amazing because this is like you know finally this is like a kid's show with his sense of humor yeah and so everyone can watch it that's definitely a unique mix it's new things, and that's what that's what all the producers have said in their descriptions of it, and that's totally true. I think they nailed it. You know, you can watch it with your kids, but there'll be a whole lot of other people that will see the entertainment value and, and enjoyment in this. So each episode, you know, there's a new 
character or place and then, or, you know, I say gadget and I'll, I'll write themes and motives for that. And then I've got, it was uh, Alexander Splat who wrote the main title and, and these two other themes and uh, they're awesome. And he's like, I mean, if someone's going to have to do it, then I'm going to have to work with someone. He'd probably be my top pick anyway, because he's one of my favorite working composers. In fact, when people would ask me as an orchestrator who I would like to work with that I had not worked with yet, he was the top of my list. <laughs> so to get to, you know, sort of work beside him on this is, is pretty awesome. But anyway, so I take what he wrote before even, you know, and then I take that and twist it and put my own slant on it and then write. You know, I wrote, I think, over six hours of music. Oh, well, you had a jumping off point that way. Well, I did. And it was great because they, you know, they liked that. So I knew, okay, well, it's safe to use that music and then but uh, uh the score they first told me it's like amblin you know that's the kind of the vibe of the above ground is that style of, of of movie and that kind of happy orchestral flourishing you know music but there's also this fantasy and the amulet and the trolls so there's a there's a magical element and then there's the dark element of the sort of the, the bad trolls so the, the palette's quite diverse. I mean, it's all orchestra style with, you know, a few sort of synths and everything. But uh, there's a ton of material that I've written. So it's, it's always fun to start a new episode and see where it's going to go and how I can either twist existing material or, or come up with new, new stuff. Well, let's talk about that with regard to the troll market, which is this underground troll world. Yep. What instrumentation decisions did you make to make it sound more underground and fantasy as opposed to what you did for the real world? Well, the troll market, uh, I mean, basically, I, I start mostly with an orchestral palette because, you know, even though I don't score it with an orchestra each week, uh, I still like to imagine it that I'm going to, you know, so it's an orchestral score. There are other elements and synths and stuff. And, and of course, being just completely done in the computer because we don't actually use a live orchestra, I can use other things and blend it in. And, you know, I can use choir wherever I feel like it and, and all that. And the choir is sort of the magical, mm -hmm. you know, I use choir and magical. Troll market, it's a happy place. And uh, everything, I don't know if, uh, if anyone, you know, is sort of musical listening, but most film music now is in a minor key. Yeah, it's minor. And then there's a trend now to go all minor. And then all of a sudden, there's just like, it get back, gets back to chord one, you hear a major chord, you know, and that's, that's another sound that's very in at the moment. I thought for troll market, I'm going to make this all major. So it gives it a kind of, it almost gives it like an ancient vibe, because you're just not used to hearing mm -hmm. it. But it's just major chords. But it's so it's sort of parallel major chords. Um, and I used a lot of woodwinds. And then it's a market, you know, there's, uh, sometimes in the background we have a calliope playing, um, you know, it's, it's, it's happy music, but I, I approached it from not so much like trying to come up with, a some unique orchestration, but a unique harmony and melody that gave it a different vibe to everywhere else. So it's, it's all major chords. Well, I've always wondered also, how do you decide, like how much improv is involved when you have, let's say, a chase scene yep. and you could have the brass come in with bum, 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 yep. or you could have the strings do it. Mm -hmm. How do you make the decision as to whether to use brass or strings, for example? Well, usually, I mean, I don't want to like say that it's all formulaic, but there's a sort <laughs> of a formula, you know, in, a, in an action scene, you're going to have some sort of bed something propulsive, some, some riff 
kind of thing. If you want to think of like in a band situation, there's the drums and the guitars and the bass that are going to hold it down. So, you know, I like to come up with something unique and not quite predictable, but something that doesn't shock you. Uh, Chris Beck, who I've worked for a lot, you know, orchestrating and conducting, he likes to write things in odd time signatures, but you wouldn't really know that, you know, like Ant-Man is in seven. Oh, and uh, you don't really notice, but it just gives it that little twist, you know. So I, so I tried to do that. So I, I came up with the, the first sort of chase music I wrote is in 11. Oh, gosh. So it's, it's six, six and then five. Um, and I was really tipping my hat at, at Chris Beck, actually, when I, when I did it because uh, that was a good toy. But anyway, so uh, once you come up with something cool and – most of the time I just play the scene and there's temp music in there. So they put some guide in there to help edit and give us a starting point. Um, but I turn that, I get a tempo from that because obviously that's what they're used to. And that's the beat, the pulse. And then I turn that off and then I just start humming and groaning and smashing the keyboard and <laughs> drumming on the table and whatever to, to come up with some ideas. And then I, I put that in and assemble it from there. As for when the, the brass come in, you know, obviously they're good for the melody, the French horns and the trumpets. Um, but then there's the, the stabs, like, you know, when when Jim has a hero moment, you know, that's when I use the hero theme and that's usually in the brass. And then the woodwinds do the flourishes when need be. And the percussion are providing the, the accents and the propulsion. And then the strings, the low strings have got the bed and the riff and the, the violins are kind of stay out of the way. And then they layer up to build more tension. But that's kind of the process on an action scene is to, you know, pick a tempo, see where it lines. I put in markers where I have to hit something where, mm -hmm. you know, something good or bad or a joke, you know, that's, I remember in the pilot, there was just something not playing. And um, Guillermo right away was like, there's a joke there. And um, I've learned just stop the music for the joke. You know, like just, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Just <laughs> cut the music hear the joke then you know and and the thing is what i learned too is that um everyone gets notes you know the one one reason why i wasn't interested in becoming a composer i was quite happy orchestrating and conducting was that i never got notes i would just get <laughs> finished music show up to the session and have fun with the orchestra now i have to go to meetings and play back my music and they get to say no we don't like it or yeah we like that bit but can you do this or so i i didn't want to put myself through that i was so comfortable and I was just really scared of that process. Anyway, it, it didn't turn out that bad. And Rodrigo, Christina, and Chad, the producers, they're really awesome with not putting me through the ringer for the sake of anything. So it's it's actually been quite quite fun. And I you know I still you know get nervous driving the DreamWorks for playback meetings, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't freak out like I used to when when they would say, "Can you just go back to that bit?" Because now half the time when they say, can we go back, it's because they've noticed something in the, in the animation that they want to fix and it might not have anything to do with me. <laughs> so I've just got to calm down. You know, I've got the gig. <laughs> That's right. And what a gig it is. I've, def I've seen the first two episodes and oh, right. your music is definitely a big part of it. Yeah. And it's such a unique journey because, of course, we're used to seeing these as feature films and this one's going to actually be episodic. So mm -hmm. hopefully... People will check it out on Netflix when it comes on December 23rd, shortly after this interview is published. Yeah, I know. It's interesting because it it feels like we have a long time being 26 episodes, but each episode is still only 22 minutes. And to, to tell a complete little self-contained story 
in that is quite difficult. You know, there's plenty of moments where we just wish we had even a couple more frames, let alone 30 more seconds to play out something or let a musical phrase finish. But it's just, it's the way it is. But, you know, people can binge it and pretend to watch six movies in a row if they want. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tim Davies, for speaking to us today. And we hope this isn't the last time you get to compose for a television show or movie. I hope not. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll look forward to your orchestrating in the meantime and your big band, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, anyone can check that out. I'm sure you'll probably link to my website somewhere. Sure enough. Thank you. And that's it for Sci-Fi Fidelity here in 2016. We'll be back in January with our regular monthly science fiction television discussions and interviews. And in the meantime, make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And you can also follow Den of Geek at Den of Geek US. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.